You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash first media. Here's to the adventure seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Palm Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can find all of our episodes over on firstpaw.media. And today I have two special guests, John Van Zyl calling in from Birchwood, Alaska, and Helen Hegener calling in from Wasilla. Thank you guys very much for being on the show today. John how are you today? And can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about, please? Yeah, my name is John Van Zyl. I'm an artist. I've uh, been around dog teams basically uh, 50, 60, well, more than that, but a long time um, since we're talking about what uh, dog stuff. Okay. And Helen, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes. Um, my name's Helen Hagener, and my company is Northern Light Media. And for the last uh, 10, 15 years, I've been writing and publishing books by myself and others about the history of the North, primarily the long-distance sled dog races, the history, but um, I've also published books on many other topics. Yes, you have a lot of books that uh, that I really enjoy learning about, and, and I'm going to put links to, to your website and all of that on the show notes for sure. But today, we were going to, we're going to talk about a brand new book that you guys have that just recently came out called Hope 91 Sled Dog Race. And I'm interested to hearing about that. I love learning about mushing history. So we're going to start off with John. John, what is the inspiration by this book? And uh, how did it come about, if you will? Well, in 1989, I was asked to go on the friendship flight. And for people who are new to Alaska, that was the first uh, flight by basically Americans into, at that time, Soviet Russia or Siberia. And during that, during the friendship flight, uh, a couple of us stood up and challenged the Russians to a dog race. And that's kind of how hope got started. Um, We spent many, many months. It took us two years to organize it, uh, not only through, you know, Siberia and Russia, uh, government, but also the American government. Um, and in uh, 1981, we ran the first race. It went from Nome, Alaska, to Anadir, Siberia, about about 12, about 1,200 miles, give or take. So I assume back in those days, since it was still under the Soviet control, there wasn't a whole lot of travel back and forth uh, between the U.S. and uh, and the USSR back then. Is that right? 
No. Well, number one, you know, well, I, I, people go into Moscow, but, uh, you know, other than uh, in, quote-unquote, what we call it, Siberia, which is it's a closed state. And nobody can get in there until you, unless you're invited. And so, yeah, no, shortly after we started going into there, um, they opened up uh, Markovo, which is, you know, quote-unquote part of Siberia, but that was about it. So you couldn't you couldn't get in there until you, you know, you were given permission. In fact, um, Gorbachev, who was their premier at the time, he couldn't get in there unless they invited him. So before we get into the story of the race and, and all of that, Helen, what was obviously you're you're big in the in the, the publishing world, especially up here in Alaska. What was your role with this book? Um. Well, I'm the uh, co-author and and publisher. So were you were you the one that uh, sort of brought it together as as a book or? Or, you know, obviously as a co-author. So what was your role, I guess, in terms of, um, you know, sort of bringing this to the world, if you will? Uh, well, I pulled the book together. Um, it, it started when um, a friend and I were visiting John last winter, and I noticed he had this unusual sled on the ceiling of his studio. And I started asking him questions, and he started digging out photo albums and showing me the history, and I realized there was a book here as it. I'd never heard of, and I guessed not many others had either, which turned out to be true. Um, this is a fairly unknown bit of history. And um, so I started pulling pieces together, contacting people in Nome and Fairbanks and various other places until I had enough material to write this book. And let's go back to John, if you will, and dive a little bit further into the story. You told us about how you got over there. It took you quite a while to really get it off the ground and get it uh, ready to go to the starting line, if you will. Tell us about the race itself. Who was a part of this race? How did you recruit people to run in the race, et cetera? Well, primarily there were three of us, you know, four of us in, you know, heavily involved. Um, Leo Rasmussen from Nome and uh, Jerry Tokar from uh, Anchorage and myself and Sandy Medeiros from your area of Mbasilla. And we all had our jobs to do. Uh, my job was, you know, the trail and dogs and uh, food drops, you know, the, the logistics of the race. And um, we spent probably, uh, well, every other month we'd be into either Anadia or, or Provodinia for meetings. I um, met with the Russians, you know, many, many, many times. Made lots of trips back and forth. Um, so that's kind of what, what my portion of it. Uh, Leo, because of his government contracts, contacts, he was in charge of the American government, you know, working with the, the Russian government. It, you know, I mean, everybody had their job. And was it started pretty early on? About you talked about logistics. Uh, what about the dogs themselves? Uh, did you have anything interesting? You know, a lot of people are very familiar with with getting dogs from one place to another for 
you know, the quest or the Finmark or something like that, it can have its challenges getting dogs back and forth from one country to the other. How difficult was it getting the dogs back, I guess is the big story, because obviously you got started in Nome, so probably wasn't very difficult to get in. Is that right? Uh, well, everybody, you know, all the, yeah, I'm going to call it the American side versus the Russian side. I mean, the American side, we had, you know, guys from Alaska. We had them from Norway. We had them from Russia. I mean, yeah, from Russia. We had them from uh, Japan, Canada. You know, so I, I picked people who I wanted to go come along and who were not necessarily you know, the uh, the butchers of the world who, you know, race, race, race. This this whole thing started out to be a, uh, a lesson on teaching the Russians and Chukchi, you know, the native guys, how to race. They've been traveling for centuries, but they didn't know how to race. And this is what this kind of thing started about. And, and the race is still still going on. And let's turn the, the table to Helen. You had mentioned that you were over at John's place and you saw a unique sled in, in the studio there. And you thought, as an author does, hey, I think there's a story here. How, how did you go about uh, crafting this into, into the book that it is today? As obviously, uh, you know, a sled dog race has its, its ups and downs and, you know, ins and outs, if you will. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? Um, well, yeah, at first I was at a bit of a loss because there wasn't much history available. I mean, John was the golden source of all the information I had. He gave me a booklet, which I didn't realize what I had at first, but once I started going through things, I realized that um, the fourth person that he mentioned of the four primary people who put this race together was Sandy Medeiros, who, um, she was a reporter for the Gnome Nugget, lived in Nome. And she was a journalist and media specialist for the race. And she kept immaculate notes. And she wrote a um, basically a history of how the whole thing happened, how it came together, what happened during the race. She traveled along with them. I got in, through several people. I got in contact with her sons, who generously gave me permission to use Sandra's manuscript. She passed away last winter, but her sons gave me the... Um, the right to use her manuscript as basically the the body of the the book, and um, from there I filled that out with John's. John gave me uh, you know a few chapters and a lot of artwork, and various other people gave me um, you know details of the race and uh, you know the timeline and other materials and it was just a, from there it was just a matter of being an editor and pulling it all together into a, a cohesive book which um i think it's a good one it's it's a fascinating history not only of the race but also of the you know the trippy people and the towns the geography where where they went i mean it just is really a fascinating story Oh, I agree with you. And I think yeah. that these these stories are definitely ones that should be told, because especially in today's uh, day and age, if you will, everything is on social media, everything's instantly available, and people are just craving 
more information. And this is a story that that I'd heard a little about in 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 my years of being involved with the sport, but obviously didn't hear about it in depth until until I reached out to you guys and and talked to uh, talked to you on this show. John, you talked about well, actually, Robert. After you know, when we went, came back, uh, you know, from the race, um, I tried to get. I've I've illustrated, you know, tons of books and working with, you know, fabric, you know, with publishers and stuff. And I tried to get them interested in producing a book about it. The news media in America, they they basically ignored the whole thing. Um, so, but I tried to get book publishers to, you know, to write a story. And they wouldn't. And, you know, thank God for for uh, Helen and, and her interest in it, because it was 30 years later, it finally got published. Yeah. And it's it's one of those one of those things, isn't it, John and, and Helen? I'm sure you would agree if if these stories aren't told, uh, they're just going to be forgotten in history. Unfortunately, that's that's sort of how things work out. So I am glad that, uh, that you guys were able to sit down and compile this. And I'm interested to hear a little bit more about the, the race and, and sort of the trials and tribulations of that in just a second. But Helen and John, I know that you guys have uh, worked together on several different projects over the years. In particular, John, everybody is familiar with your artwork. Uh, you've been doing that for years with Iditarod and, uh, you know, other projects around, um, around the sport and sort of the lifestyle. Helen, what other projects have you been involved with, uh, with, with John in particular? And uh, what is your guys' relationship, if you will? Because I'm sure a lot of people know both of you guys by name, but they don't know that you guys have collaborated on, on projects like this. Well, the primary project we collaborated on before this was um, I published a uh, a magazine about Alaskan history. In fact, that was a title, Alaskan History Magazine. And um, John generously donated a lot of artwork to that project. So he and I were in contact for, you know, the few years that I published that magazine. Um, unfortunately, when COVID hit, it um, pretty much did away with that publication. I was never able to revive it. But um, John's contributions over the years that I was doing it were just invaluable. I mean, just... And John is so generous and so giving to everyone. I mean, it's just a pure joy to work with him. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I want to thank both of you guys for just sharing the history of the of the sport and the lifestyle. I think that is so important, John. If we can go back to to the race itself, obviously it had its challenges working in a unfamiliar terrain, especially in in a country where. Uh, for the most part, uh, the the folks in the United States uh, had very limited access to. Can you tell us about the race itself? What was the terrain like? What were the conditions like? How was it like going into the different communities? So on and so forth. Well, the race was absolutely, as far as I was concerned, probably one of the best things I've ever done as far as human, you know, people, human activities and and seeing how people, you know, real people live. Uh, it was really interesting because I learned a lot about communism and, and what, what that has done to their, their population, uh, which is not good. Um, but the race itself was, uh, the way we set it up was, uh, again, to teach the Chukchi mushers how to race. 
and the country is basically the way everybody thinks it is. It's a lot of flatness, a terrible amount of wind, uh, not necessarily deep snow because it's like you know, northern Alaska. You know, it kind of blows away. Um, they, the, the villages, uh, maybe some of them had a couple thousand people in them, and, and they all basically... You know, if they have had a, a village of a couple thousand people, they were basically housed in in uh, concrete, 1950-style concrete American, you know, barracks. Uh, very little rooms. Um, and not a not a fun place to live. Uh, the other villages were, you know, mostly let's say native villages, and they they didn't have the concrete houses. They had well, you know what what we would call I mean tar paper shacks. I mean they were not not it was not a comfortable place. Um, and I understand it's you know certainly gotten better, but it was not then. Um, what else what else was? I'm I'm just fascinated. I'm just fascinated by by the the surroundings there. Uh, obviously, uh, in, you know, in communist type Russia. Uh, people have seen the documentaries and movies and things about what life is like, but unless you're up close and personal to it, uh, I, I would imagine it's a pretty unforgiving landscape for sure. So, John, you had said that one of your uh, the major... People, the, pe- the people are absolutely wonderful. Um, I mean, literally wonderful. Very friendly, very open. Uh, you know, they really, really wanted to talk to others, you know, somebody from outside. Um, one of my main interests was getting to know where the Siberian Husky came from. Um, I'd had some contact with an anthropologist in 1989 when we went on the friendship flight who came from Moscow to talk to me about what happened to the Siberian Husky. And uh, basically, they they were destroyed, and the people, a lot of people, were destroyed during the, the early years of Lenin and, and Stalin. But there were a couple of villages where they still were, and I was in charge of, you know, the dogs and the trail and everything. And guess where we went? <laughs> so, um, and I eventually brought a, a dog back from Siberia. So that was one of my main interests of you know, selfish reason for starting the race. And I'm going to get to Helen in just a second, but I, I have to finish this thought a little bit. John, you had said that one of your primary goals, obviously you said that you wanted to to learn about the dogs and even brought one back, as you mentioned. But you said that one of your primary goals was to teach the Chukchi people about uh, about dog mushing, I guess, compared to, you know, how it was back way back in the day compared to now. What uh, what was the what was the relationship like? What did you guys finally agree on? Did you obviously? I'm sure you learned things from from that uh, from that culture that that is different than how we do it here in Alaska or in the states in particular with dog mushing. Yeah, well, you know, Chukchi people they've been driving dogs for you know centuries, right? And they know certainly know how to do that, and and the. the the quote unquote the mushers of the villages um, they their jobs 
you know, they'd, they'd take their sled every day or every week or whatever, and they, you know, they'd kill a walrus or a seal and bring it back to the village. And so they were, you know, they, they know how to drive dogs. It isn't that. They did not know how to race. And we knew that in, in the, 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 the Olympic Committee, or, you know, the American Olympic Committee, was thinking on, on redoing uh, dog rush ra- racing in the Olympics. And they had it in 1932, but they, uh, you know, never since. And so we knew that the Russians knew that also, and probably, I'm guessing, one of the reasons why we were, they were so anxious for us to do the race was so that they could learn how to race. I mean, there's always an alternative, you know, reason. And um, like I said, the race is still going on. So they learn very well. And our goal was to teach them how to do it. Uh, that's why when I invited, you know, mushers, I did not want, you know, the butchers or the Swensons who, you know, they race. And I don't want to race. We raced for, you know, two checkpoints at the end, but it was a teaching experience. And uh, it paid off. I, th- I think it's fascinating, and I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, Helen's point of view. Helen, if we could come to you, we, we could probably talk for hours about both sides of this, the the story of it, the race itself, and introducing racing to a people that uh, did it as a lifestyle compared to, you know, uh, getting similar to how we did it uh, here in Alaska in the early days where, you know, how, how sprint race mushing came about, et cetera. But Helen, here we are. 30 plus years later, and now you've had the chance to sit down with, with John and, and write this book and, and uh, tell the story, at least in, in written form. How has it been perceived so far? I know that uh, you've sent out several copies to, to mushers and, and they really enjoy it. But what about the general public? Do they say, hey, this is something I didn't know anything about. Thank you for sharing. What, what's the uh, perception so far? That's exactly the most common reaction is, um, thank you for this history. I never knew about this. And a lot of people have said that, you know, they they just cannot believe that a race of this magnitude, I mean, 1,200 miles across Alaska and Siberia, and most people never knew about it. Um, the general reaction has been, thank you for bringing this history to life. That's exactly my goal, so I've accomplished that. A hundred percent. And and again, thank you very much. John, we are almost out of time and I have one final question for you. And then I want to, uh, to sort of bring this full circle with Helen. Uh, you had said that the race is still going on and I'm familiar with, and maybe you can correct me or, or confirm several years ago, uh, your Olsum was doing something similar to what you did there in Russia is that the same thing, or is it differently, different entirely? The, the race that Yor ran and won, I believe it was in 2012, maybe 2014. But, um, yeah, that's the same race. It's been changed. It ran under the U.S. offices for two years, and then it went, um, I believe, since then, it has been entirely controlled by, the, uh, I think, the truck two people. I'm not certain about that, but it's been run from that side anyway. Yeah, but that again, Helen. That was is that. Uh, I thought you said you were Olson, and I didn't know who that was. 
Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, you know, I I didn't know. Yeah, no, he uh it's the same race. It's called the Vezhda, you know, which is hope in in Russia. Um it's the same race. It's just cuz you know, very much shorter. Yeah, these days it's known as the Beringia race. And, and is yeah. is that is that race still going on and uh how is it perceived now by by mushers outside, because uh, obviously Russia is a very different place than it was in 1991. It has its uh, strengths and weaknesses, I'm sure. But is that uh, still pretty well perceived around the 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 world of mushing? Yes, it is. Um, if if I can read just a sec here in the epilogue to the book, um, I quoted: "Nadezhda has not only inspired a renewed interest in the ancient sled dog breeding traditions." It has also contributed to revival of the local dog breed, the Trikotka sled dog. Um, you know, it goes on, which says, you know, the, the Nadezhda race has become the driving force behind the resurgence of the ancient sled dog breeding traditions. Very cool. Yeah, and, we're and, very, very happy that, you know, we're very happy that the efforts that, you know, all of us put into this really, really paid off. And that's, that, that's what we started it for. You know, and so it's good. Yeah, and the Dajda and, and the Beringa, you know, it's all it's all part of it, you know. And that's what it was kind of about. A hundred percent agree for sure. So to finish up here, guys, John, I saw just recently on on your Facebook page, I believe it was, a work that you did for the Siberian Husky Club of America, and it was a, a art piece that uh, paid tribute or homage to the 1925 serum run as it's coming up here uh, in just a couple of years for, um, for that 100-year anniversary. Now, I know that you do artwork every year for the Iditarod, but can you tell our listeners who may not be familiar uh, with, with your artwork, a little bit about it. Uh, how, how does that uh, come about? Uh, maybe just some a little bit of the process, if you will, and how you create these magnificent pieces of artwork. Well, are you talking about the one, the, the, the serum thing, or are you talking about just in general? Uh, in general. In general is fine. Yeah, well, you know, I have to paint anywhere from 70 to 80 paintings a, a year, originals a year. And those are some commission, but mostly gallery shows around the world. And so sled dogs and, you know, maybe out of, let's say, 80 paintings a year, there might be 10 that are sled dogs, and that's it. All the rest of them are just Alaska life, basically my life in in paint. Um, but the uh, the uh, Togo Fritz painting that you were talking about referencing for the, the uh, serum thing, serum race in 25, um, that's what that's what they commissioned was uh, a painting that would symbolize Fritz and Togo, Sepala's uh, leaders, and you know some a little bit of of Sepala, but it's the Siberian Ethnic Club of America. They're they're interested in the dogs, not necessarily the humans, you know. But so it had to bring. Fritz and Togo into into heavier view than the human beings. You know the kids that are on the painting and and Seppala's on the painting, and but it was the dogs that were the most important. Well, of course, since it's part of the Siberian Husky Club, I would imagine that that was uh, an important yeah. 
piece of it for sure. So Helen, what's up with you? Uh, you had mentioned that you've written many, many books over the years uh, about uh, Alaska, mushing history, all sorts of things uh, that uh, that you've written about. What's what's next on, on the table for you? What's what's coming down the pipe? Um, well, I've <laughs> a number of things. I've I'm working with um, author Lou Friedman. I've published two of his books now. One about uh, Gitterod, and another about um, his biography of his life in the North as a sports editor of the Anchorage paper. And he's working on four more books for me. He's actually up in Alaska this summer working on those. But my current project is a book about the Lady Bronk writers of the, basically from 1890 to 1940. Um, women basically, they um, rode broncs and steers and were in the rodeos and competed on a level on a par with the men. And a lot of them became really well-known champions. It's you know a fascinating history that I'm actually working on this book with my daughter. And uh, it's called Letter Buck. Uh, history of women's bronc writing and to probably have that one out this fall. Well, guys, I want to thank you very much for, for taking the time to be on the show. I'm sure we could have gone on for an hour or two, just diving deep into everything that you guys have done uh, in particular, since this is mushing radio, uh, the sport of dog mushing and the lifestyle. So again, thank you very much. Uh, for doing that and taking the time out of your day. And we'll put some links over on the show notes page about how folks can purchase the book and, and read it for themselves. More than anything, we wanted to make sure people are aware of this book and the story that has been told. John, thank you very much for being on the show today. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. And Helen, thank you very much as well for being on the show. And uh, hope you guys have a great summer up here in Alaska. We'll talk soon, okay? All right. Okay. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. Thank you. Um, On behalf of my guest today, this is Robert from Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From Dog Works Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.